Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray you are well. I am okay. Um, I'm recovering a little more at home today, so we're doing the program by audio and not um, not the uh, video today. We should be back on video tomorrow. I'm, I'm doing better every day, and I bless God for your prayers. Um, we are uh, continuing with the Catechism Explained by Reverend Sparago. And um, we are on uh, chapter three of the beginning of the creed, which is the divine attributes. And so far, the beginning says we ascribe to God various attributes because the unity of the divine perfection is reflected in different ways in creatures. And again, attributes, there's a difference between attributes and characteristics. We could say what we are like but when we speak of the attributes of God, we speak about not what God is like, but what he is in his essence, in his very being. So God is eternal. He always was, is, and ever will be. He is omnipresent. That is, he is in every place. <clears throat> the next one, um, I'm scrolling down here. God is immutable. That means he ever remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He is omniscient, meaning he knows all things, the past, the present, and the future, and also our inmost thoughts. And we spoke yesterday about the fact that um, th- that the fact that God knows all things does not equal um, um, predetermination. In other words, the fact that God knows all things does not interfere with our free will at all. Um, he simply knows the past uh, and the future at one time. There's no, he's outside of time. And so he knows because he sees all things and gives us the free will to respond to his grace uh, by our choice. God, who knows all things, will one day bring all hidden things to light. This is a little scary for some of us. Our Lord says uh, through uh, the Gospel of Luke, there is nothing hidden that shall not be made manifest or secret that shall not be known and come abroad. God will, that's Luke chapter 8, God will in the last day disclose and make known our whole life. As the morning sun shows all things in their light, their true light, so Christ, the Son of Justice, will at the day of judgment reveal all our actions in their true light. All prayers, alms, fasts, penances that are done according to his will will be made manifest to the whole world. Nothing is so small as to escape notice at the last day. We should think on God's omniscience, um, especially when we are tempted, that we may pass through our temptations unscathed. Uh, He gives the example of a little boy who was in a strange house 
and saw there was a basket full of beautiful apples. As he could see no one in the room, he was much tempted to help himself to some. But the thought came to him of God's omniscience. No, he said, I must not take them, for God sees me. At that moment, a man who was hidden from him by a curtain called out to him, You may take as many apples as you like. What a blessing it was for him that he had not taken them without permission. If we know that someone is watching us, we are very careful what we do. If we remember that God sees us, we shall be still more careful. Job took refuge in God's knowledge of his innocence when he was mocked at by his friends. So did Susanna when falsely accused, Job um, and Daniel. God is supremely wise. He's omniscient, he knows all things, and he is supremely wise. He knows how to direct everything for the best in order to carry out his designs. The design at which God aims is nothing else than his own glory and the good of his creatures. If the farmer wishes for a good harvest, he plows his field, manures it, sows good seeds, etc. Such a farmer is a wide, wise man because he chooses the means best qualified to attain his end. God acts in an exactly similar way. He prepared the world for the coming of the Redeemer by the call of Abraham, the sending of the prophets, etc., The wisdom of God shows himself in the life of individuals, such as Joseph in Egypt, of Moses of St. Paul, and also in the history of nations and kingdoms. The wisdom of God shows itself especially in the way in which he brings good out of evil. The life of the patriarch Joseph is an excellent example of this. God's ways are not as our ways or his thoughts as our thoughts. Man proposes and God disposes. A man inexperienced in war would be puzzled by the orders issued by the general and would not be able to understand how they all could tend to ensure victory. We shall understand God's ways in heaven, but we cannot understand them here. A child saw how the thorns tore away little pieces from the fleece of a sheep and wanted to remove the thorns. Presently, the child saw how the singing birds collected the bits of wool to make their nests and no longer wished to remove the thorns. Many men are like this child. The wisdom of God is also displayed in this, that God makes use of the most unlikely means for his own honor. St. Paul says, the weak things of this world, God has chosen to confound the the strong. And I love that because we often go around saying I'm a happy, weak thing. I'm a happy, foolish thing. Some translations say the foolish, God confounds. God chooses the foolish uh, to confound the wise. 1 Corinthians 1.27. God chooses the small and despised land of Palestine as the cradle of Christianity. He chose a poor maiden to be the mother of God and a poor carpenter to be his foster father. 
he chose poor, ignorant fishermen to preach the gospel and spread it over all the earth. He often uses the most improbable means in helping his friends. St. Felix of Nola, when flying from his persecutors, took refuge in a hole in a rock. A spider came and spun its web at the mouth of the cave, and his pursuers, on seeing this, concluded that he could not be inside. Don't you love these stories? I do. Here's another one. A poor woman was summoned to pay some money, which had already been paid by her husband, who was dead. She searched everywhere for the receipt, but in vain. The very morning, when she had to appear before the court, a, a certain bird, I can't even pronounce the name, looks like Cockchafer, flew in at the window and behind a press. One of the children wanted to get it. So the mother moved the press a little to reach it. And from behind the press, the long-sought receipt fell to the ground. This was God's answer to the poor widow's prayers. It is God's law that all works done for God should meet with difficulties and hindrances. A work that begins, St. Philip Neri used to say, a work that begins with brilliant promise has not God for its author and protector. Lastly, the wisdom of God shows itself in directing the course of the world to carry out his purposes. All things in the world have a mutual relation to one another. If a man removes or displaces a single wheel in a watch, the watch stops. So if anything were altered in the arrangement of the world, all things would be confused. Without the birds, the insects would soon destroy all vegetation. So the animals that serve us for food increase rapidly, while the beasts of prey breed but slowly. Nothing in the world is useless. The alterations of sunshine and rain, summer and winter, day and night, all serve some useful end. How useful is the uneven distribution of wealth, of the talents of men, etc. The smallest insect has its usefulness in the world. The butterfly, going from flower to flower, carries with it the fertilizing pollen. Even the destructive agencies in the world, storms, earthquakes, and floods, serve God's purposes and are intended by him to help men to save their souls. Talking about the butterfly, I, I think I'll just tell you this. Um, some, some weeks ago, it was the most beautiful little butterfly, a small thing, the size of my, less than my thumb. Just a beautiful little thing. And I started beckoning him to come, and he did. And for the longest time we played, he never really touched me. He came close enough, and he, and when I wanted to reach my hand out that he could land on it, he didn't, he flew away a little bit. But he stayed for 10 minutes, and we played together until I had to leave. Something so beautiful. God is so good in all his creatures, and you, dear ones. There's the music for our first break, um, and uh, we'll be back right after the break. You're welcome to call in. 
this is Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth. Join Father Stephen Imbarato and I, along with many more, in New York City for the Gift of Life Walk on Saturday, March 25th at 11 a.m. in downtown Manhattan's Foley Square. We invite everyone to come walk with us behind the Men's March banner in this great opportunity to stand up together for the least of these on the Feast of the Annunciation, which is also the Day of the Unborn Child. Men, we also have a special men's night the evening before the walk on Friday, March 24th. Meet us at 6.30 p.m. for an important presentation on authentic manhood and the pro-life movement in the old gym at the Basilica of St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in Manhattan. Make plans now to join us. We hope that we'll see you there. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. It's okay for Lent to be a struggle. Christ never promised us fame, riches, or happiness in this life, but rather suffering poverty and sacrifice. The desert of Lent helps us discern the need for God. We must realize, in most cases, the desert is more of a path than it is a place for us to live. If we follow in the path of Christ, that is, in his way of the cross, we find not a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. We must first die if we wish to be reborn. Moses and the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, and Jesus fasted and was tempted in the desert for 40 days. The 40 days of Lent are a time of trial and purification. This Lent, let's leave everything to God, especially if everything seems to be going wrong. This is Matt Maloney from KnowTheFaith.net. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live. But by audio this morning, not video. Um, we'll be back on video tomorrow. And while we're um, reading the catechism explained, and we're on the wonderful um, section of God, uh, God's attribute of being supremely wise, that he knows how to direct everything for the best order to carry out his designs. Every single thing, beloved. Okay, let me just see. Um, we are on the, the last point of wisdom that all things in the world have a mutual relation to one another. Um, I, I won't repeat that whole section. Let me just say it. Okay. Um, the beautiful arrangement of the universe compels us to recognize the wisdom and prudence of him who has created it. How great are thy works, O Lord, said the psalmist. Thou hast made all things in wisdom. The earth is filled with thy riches. God is almighty. God can do all that he wills, and that by a mere act of his will. He can do all things which appear to men impossible, such as the preservation of the three young men in the midst of the fiery furnace of Babylon. A thousand similar wonders occurred in the time of the persecutions of the Christians. Our Lord says that with God, nothing 
is impossible. Yet God cannot do that which is in contradiction with his own perfections. He cannot lie, and he cannot deceive. God could always have done more wonderful works than he has done. He could have created a more beautiful world than this, and more creatures than he has actually made. When any of the creatures that God has made desires to do anything, he can only make use of the things that he has made, and in accordance with the laws that God has established. But God is bound by no laws, save those of his own infinite goodness and truth. He has only to will a thing, and what he wills happens at once. The psalmist wrote, he spoke and the heavens were created. He commanded and they were created. The omnipotence, that is the all-powerfulness of God, the almightiness of God, shows itself especially in the creation of the world, in the miracles wrought by our Lord, and in those miracles which before and after our Lord's time, God has worked for the confirmation of the true religion. The earth, listen to this, the earth is 24,899 miles in circumference. 24,899 miles in circumference. The sun is far larger for its diameter is 100 times greater than that of the earth. Some of the heavenly bodies are far greater. Some of them, if they occupied the space of the sun and were to begin to rise at 6 a.m., would not have completely risen above the horizon by 6 p.m., 12 hours later. Our earth is over 91 million miles distant from the sun. A body traveling from the earth to the sun at the ordinary rate of a cannonball would take 25 years to reach the sun. The planet Neptune, according to the latest information, is 2,794,000,000 miles distant. Billion, I should say, no, hold on a minute, 2 billion, 2 billion, 794 million miles distant from the sun. No, I, I did that wrong. Hold on a minute. Yeah, 2 million, sorry about this, 2,794. No, I was right to begin with. Oh, I'm so sorry. I wish I could cut this last minute out. Um, no, it's 2,794,000,000 miles distant from the sun. A cannonball would take 800 years to travel thence to the sun. There are stars outside our planetary system, which are a million times further from us. Oh, my goodness, the technology there ones that we have for uh, men to figure this out is astounding to me that God has given us such intelligence, such ability to create the machines, to invent them, that figure all this out, and yet we use our incredibly uh, uh, created minds to kill and to murder and to destroy. What a, what a, what a conundrum. 
um, light, which travels at the rate of 24,000 miles a second, would take many millions of years to reach these stars. Around our sun, there move eight larger and 280 smaller planets. The nearest one, which is Mercury, is 36 million miles distant from the sun. And the most distant, Neptune, over 2 billion miles. There are also in the heavens 30 million fixed stars, all of them real suns and mostly larger than our sun. And around these move many other heavenly bodies. All these God has created out of nothing. How infinite then is the power of God. Infinite. Unlimited is the power of God. Think also of the miracles wrought by Christ, the raising of Lazarus, the stilling of the tempest, the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple, the wonders that are now being worked at Lord France. Who shall declare the powers of the Lord or set forth all his praises, wrote the psalmist. Since God is almighty, we can hope for help from him in our greatest needs. Oh, I tell you, if you're an atheist listening to this, how on earth could you remain an atheist? How on earth could you figure all this out and then conclude there is no superior being? There is no God. And if you say, okay, there's a God, but someone made him, then who made him? Then that person would have to be God or that thing would have to be God. No, 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 no. God has a thousand different ways of helping us. He can send an angel to help us, as he did to St. Peter in prison, or work a miracle, as he did to feed the multitude in the desert. As a rule, he makes use of the most unlikely means, and thereby shows the greatness of his power. He freed Bethulia from Assyrians, the Assyrians by means of a woman. He saved the Israelites from their enemies by making a path through the sea. It is easy for the Lord to save by many or by few. Just before the break, dear ones, I told you the story of a tiny, pure yellow butterfly without a spot on him. I've never seen anything just so beautiful and small, less than my thumb. And um, uh, he was playing with me. I can't even... Every time I think of it, I, I, I could laugh and smile and, and bless God, a little tiny creature. And I, I, I saw him, and he was so beautiful, I bent down to see how close he would let me get to him. And he flew away, and then he came back. And we did this for about 10 minutes. And each time he came closer to me, we played together. It was so, so, so beautiful. And the reason it ended is I had to leave. Could you think of God who creates many universes out there? How many solar systems out there? And, and the tiniest little butterfly as well. Unbelievable. Just, it's just amazing. We are, he is the creator and we are the creature. God, next one, is supremely good. He loves his creatures far more than a father loves his children. And, and I learned the statement that Scott Hunt made is that we don't call God Father because we're children. 
he calls us children. We're children because he is our father. He is our father. And he loves us, his children, more than any human father is capable of loving his children. God loves his creatures and loads them with benefits. John wrote in 1 John 4, God is love itself. The spring cannot but send forth water and the sunlight. The goodness of God differs from that of his creatures as the sun differs from the light shed upon a wall. His creatures are good because God sheds his goodness upon them. Hence, our Lord says in the Gospel of Mark, none is good but one, that is God. The love of God extends to all the creatures that he has made. As the sun lights up the boundless firmament, so God extends his goodness to all creatures. Not one of them is excluded from it. Not one of them is forgotten by God. But God has an especial love for mankind. He imparts countless benefits to them and sent his son on earth to redeem them. Can you imagine, beloved, of all the solar systems, all the universe, all the suns, the stars, the planets, everything, the whole earth, all the animals, all the creatures, all of nature, he has a special love for us, mankind, his highest creature, a little lower than the angels right now, but we will be even higher than the angels. What wonderful bodies God has given us. He has bestowed upon us our senses and the gift of speech. How many gifts he has conferred upon our souls. He has given us understanding, free will, and memory. For our bodies, he gives us food and drink and clothing and health. How well he has provided for our necessities on this earth. Light, warmth, the air, the plants, the trees, and their various fruits. How many powers he has implanted in nature for us to use for our own benefit. Coal and salt, stone, marble, precious stones, etc. He has, in fact, made man the Lord of the whole world. He loves us far more than we love ourselves, beloved. His love for us is far greater than that of the fondest mother for her child. If you have any question, dear one, whether or not God loves you, or even if he exists, you exist because he loves you. He made you in love for himself. And if you're a mother and you, can, you know how much you love your child, that you would give your life for your child, and accept the fact that God loves you and your child more than you could even love your child, it's, an, it's a love beyond anything we fallen human beings could ever fathom. The love of all creatures for God is not nearly as great as the love of God for each one of us. But above all, God has shown his love for us in this, that he gave his only begotten son for us, John 3.16. Abraham could not show his love for God in any more perfect way than this, that he gave to God that which was dearest to him, his only son, Isaac. God. 
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for March 23rd. Today we celebrate St. Terribius of Mogreveo. Born in Spain in 1858, Terribius studied church and civil law and taught at the university level. In 1571, he was appointed the chief judge of the church court of the Inquisition at Granada. When the first Archbishop of Lima, Peru died, Terribius was tapped by Rome to succeed him. Still a layman, Terribius initially protested his unworthiness, but he finally consented and was ordained a priest and bishop. Arriving in Peru, he immediately set out to challenge the evils of colonialism, including the oppression of the native population. He also initiated reform among the lax clergy. Terribius leapt into his work, traveling on foot and by mule around his enormous diocese of 18,000 square miles. His first pastoral visit kept him on the road for seven years. He preached to the Indians in their languages and helped produce a catechism for their use. A model of pastoral sensitivity and courage, Terribius died in 1606. One of the best-loved saints of Peru, he also is the patron of Latin American bishops. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I didn't take my faith seriously, which which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour together, um, and you're welcome to call in. Our lines are open with anything whatsoever on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from John Patrick who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, as part of my Lenten meditation, I'm exploring various questions to better understand the life and times of Jesus. That's wonderful. My question has to do with Jewish belief and teachings about who the Messiah would be, what his mission would be, how would they know him, and what would his role be in Jewish political, religious life. Did the Jews believe that the Messiah would be more a political leader than religious? Jesus clearly states he is the Messiah who fulfills the biblical prophecy, but most seem to deny him this role. Who then is Jesus to the Jews? How do they explain him? If he is not the Messiah, who will be? And how will they recognize him? Thank you, Mother, for this answer. And all you do to serve Christ. Sincerely yours in Christ, John Patrick. John Patrick. This is wonderful. Your questions, your thinking is all wonderful. 
I'd, I'd like to do a whole program on this, actually. Uh, but briefly, everything in the Old Testament, from Genesis uh, 3.15 on, which is the first prophecy of the Messiah, who would be the seed of the woman, who would destroy uh, the seed of the devil. Um, so the, the seed of the woman was the first prophesy of the coming Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, redeemer. So it was the first prophecy. And that prophecy, the, the line the, the, called the messianic line, the line through which the Messiah would come from Adam and Eve through um, Seth, through Noah, through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob and Judah and the family of David, traced through the entire Old Testament. And every single thing, John Patrick, in the Old Testament, the theme of every single book of the Old Testament points to the Messiah. Um, every sacrifice that were given to the Jewish people in the law, the whole law itself, the entire tabernacle, every piece of furniture in the tabernacle, every single thing in the Old Testament has its only reason for existence is to point to the Redeemer. Um, and so uh, the Jews, when people say the Jews rejected Christ, they did not. Because if they rejected Christ, we wouldn't be here. There would be no Christianity. Christianity is Jewish, founded on the Jewish prophets um, and uh, disciples, uh, uh, apostles and prophets. Um, they were all Jews. Uh, it was founded on the Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. That would be the law of Moses, but to fulfill it. And so he came to fulfill it. Roy Shulman, uh, a convert, or he doesn't call himself a convert, an entrance, entrance into uh, the Catholic Church, an entrance into the Catholic Church, uh, rightly says that Christianity is Judaism fulfilled in its Messiah, post-Messianic Judaism, fulfilled in its Messiah and spread to the four corners of the earth, um, which is uh, absolutely true. But so it's not true that the Jewish people don't believe or didn't believe. My brother David is president of the Association of Hebrew Catholics all over the world. He's based in St. Louis, Missouri. And anybody can go onto the website, Hebrew Catholic, one word, HebrewCatholic.net, and get a, a wealth of information of conversion stories and theology and all kinds of things. Um, thousands of Jewish people enter the church every year, believing the church not to be the rejection of Judaism, but indeed its fulfillment, the full measure of Judaism and the full measure of Christianity. So, um, but the Jews who don't believe, who didn't in our Lord's time and who do not today, um, mostly have their big problem with um, the fact that Jesus is God. Uh, they expected a Messiah, but they did not realize he was God. Even they, they could have. Their Old Testament scriptures uh, say it. Isaiah, in several places, say that a son would be born to us whose name would be Wonderful, uh, the Almighty Father, God, the Prince of Peace. It's all over. Um, and Matthew confirms that in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, who is Jewish. 
um, he takes all the Old Testament scriptures and wrote the gospel for the Jewish people to prove that Jesus is the true-awaited Messiah. But faith, John Patrick, always is a gift. And my biggest stumbling block in coming to faith in, in our Lord was that a man can't be God. And I'm right. I was right. A man cannot be God. But God, if he exists, can become a man. We're not going to tell him how to be God. And he became a man. And 18 years later, I learned that he became our food. And I came into the Catholic Church. It's no more miracle for him to become a man than to become our food. God is neither a man or a wafer. Uh, He's a spirit. But he became both for us men and for our salvation. So the Jewish people today who are yet waiting for the Messiah to come um, are waiting for a political leader. You're right, more political than anything else, who will come and uh, defeat the enemies of Israel and set up his kingdom and rule and reign. That's who they're waiting for. Um, And our Lord will do that. He came first to set up the kingdom of God in the hearts of men. He'll come a second time to set up his kingdom on earth, and it will be too late for those who have not embraced him yet as God in their heart and in his church. Um, So he will be, they're looking for a political leader. Even the disciples who believed that Jesus was the Messiah did not fully understand that he was God until the resurrection. Um, Paul wrote to the Romans that he was vindicated as God by the resurrection from the dead. They didn't even fully understand it until then. Um, So uh, that's a little nutshell, John Patrick. Roy Shulman has put together two magnificent books. One is Salvation is from the Jews, which goes from uh, creation or from Abraham right through to the second coming because God's plan... um, Uh, to lead the world through the Messiah is not complete until his second coming. His plan for the Jewish people is not complete until his second coming. Um, And the second book Roy edited actually is um, called Honey from the Rock. That's a, a line from Psalm 81, Honey from the Rock. 16 Jewish people who Uh, embraced Catholicism as the fulfillment that it is of Judaism. My story's in there, my brother David's story's in there, Um, the uh, wonderful, wonderful stories of uh, saints, St. Alphonse, um, Radisbon, uh, I don't don't think he was canonized, but of, of wonderful Jewish men and women of the past and of the present who entered the Catholic Church knowing fully that it is indeed Judaism fulfilled in the Messiah. And any Catholic, dear ones, if you don't read the Old Testament, you don't understand your faith as a Catholic unless you know your heritage, your history. It's your history. It's your heritage. Okay, God bless you. Um, We have a, a YouTube question from Tony who says, did any Eucharistic miracles happen in the Novus Ordo, or did they all happen in the traditional Latin Mass? I don't know. Um, I would have to guess that they did happen in the Novus Ordo, but I would have to look that one up, Tony, so I will. I'll look it up, but offhand, 
I cannot answer you, but I'm going to guess uh, that they did. Um, okay, we have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, hello, mother. My brother-in-law, hold on a moment. Okay, my brother-in-law is an Episcopalian. He has been going to the Catholic Church with my sister for the past 30 years. Oh, my goodness. He receives communion. He received all of his sacraments in the Episcopalian Church. I thought he was Catholic. When I learned that he was Episcopalian, I told him he should talk to his Catholic priest and join RCIA. He believes that since he received all his Christian sacraments of baptism, etc., and believes in Jesus that he is okay. He is not okay. Absolutely not okay. I asked him if he believes in the true presence. I don't remember what he said. But there's no true presence in the Episcopalian Church. I asked if he loved our Blessed Mother. He said yes, but not the same as you. I feel like if he goes to the pastor, he might be embarrassed and would have to confess his not being a Catholic. Yet he is putting his priest's soul in danger. Well, the priest is ignorant of that. I don't know that the priest's soul is in danger. But his wife's soul is in danger if she doesn't tell him. If she's ignorant of this, she has no excuse to be ignorant of a non-Catholic receiving the Eucharist. She is in danger, and so is he. I would tell him that he is offending God. He's committing a great sacrilege by receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, by receiving communion without being in communion with the Catholic Church. His baptism was probably very valid and good that he believes in Jesus, but he's not okay because he's, there are people in 40,000 denominations plus that have been baptized and believe in Jesus, but they're not in communion with the Catholic Church. So to receive communion, the Eucharist, while not being Catholic, is to commit a lie and is to not be in communion. When the Catholic Church forbids non-Catholics to receive communion, it's to protect their soul from committing a great lie and sacrilege. Um, She says, I was a Eucharistic minister at a family wedding and gave him communion thinking he was a Catholic. I have confessed this sin. Prior to all our family weddings, I now give the priest a heads up that he needs to make the announcement. You need to be in a state of grace and a practicing Catholic to receive communion. The priest does make this announcement, and he continues to receive Jesus anyway. I feel my sister will pay a a heavy price for this. She is Catholic. I feel she shows his children the Catholic sacraments are not really that important, and anyone can receive Jesus. He never misses Sunday Mass. They have five Catholic kids, all are grown, and out of the house. Um, Well, don't go by your feelings, dear one. You must tell this to your sister. You must tell your sister that she's in peril for not speaking to her husband. Um, You go on, I told him I do not think it is right to receive Jesus. No, you know it is not right. You don't think it's right. It's not out of your opinion. He shouldn't think it's something you feel or think. It's doctrine. It's total sin. I told him that I do not think it is right to receive Jesus. 
And he said, well, it's between me and God. Well, it is between him and God. But also, being between him and God, it's between him and the church Christ established. That's why it's so important to stay away from the feelings and what you think. You must tell him what Jesus has taught his church. And she says, so now I just pray for him. I asked my own parish priest about this. He said, this is wrong. He does not feel like he is mocking the faith and has become a member his way. The parish priest said it is wrong. I don't know who the he is here. Well, I guess it's your brother-in-law does not feel like he's mocking the faith and becoming, he can't become a member his way. People come to the wedding feast of the Lamb and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And, and our Lord said to him, basically, you can't do it your way. Depart, I never knew you. She says, I do not do Eucharistic ministry anymore, as who knows who I have been giving communion to. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard the expression, free love? Do you know what it means? It means false love. True love does not want to be free. It wants to bind itself. It wants to give everything and forever. It wants to make a vow, a promise that it will keep. G.K. Chesterton says the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. The question is, will he keep the vow? That's the adventure. The perils and the punishment must be real. If I bet, I must be made to pay, or there's no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight, or there's no poetry in challenging. And if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I'm unfaithful, or there's no fun in vowing. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Are you ready to take on the world of flesh and the devil with just the facts? This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Avon, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes. Our lines are open, and you still have time, if you wish, to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at com. We're pretty much at the end when we had a cut for a break of an email from someone who writes in anonymously 
uh, about her brother-in-law, who is an Episcopalian, married to her sister, who is a Catholic. And apparently uh, her brother-in-law has been going to Catholic Mass with his wife, her sister, for 30 years. And he believes since he was baptized and believes in Jesus, he's okay. And the sister-in-law, the the the, um, the writer of this email, has said, "I feel this, and I told him that I think this." And I I say, if you if you go to people that are in such grave peril, and you say, "I think this," or "I feel this," you are doing them a great disservice because it's you against them, and his opinion is as good as yours. But you don't say what I think or feel. What the church teaches is this. You claim you're okay, but the church is not okay. You're not in communion with the church. Uh, you have to be very, very clear on what the church teaches. You can even read it from the catechism. And finally, um, she says, I do not, I told him I do not think it's right to receive Jesus. But again, it's not what you think. He's not going to pay attention to that. Um, and he said, well, it's between me and God. You see? Uh, what you think is between you and God. Um, so now I just pray for him. I asked my own parish priest about this. He said it's wrong. He does not feel he is mocking the faith and has become a member his way. That's our brother-in-law. Um, I do not do Eucharistic ministering anymore, as who knows who I have been giving communion to. I know many priests face this problem. Is my sister's soul in jeopardy because she is his wife? Yes, it is. She says she, he does not listen to her. Well, she needs to uh, show her husband where this is a grave sin and where he has no right to receive communion if he's not in a state of grace in the Catholic Church, having been received in the Catholic Church. It's not his wife's prodding or anything else. She needs to show him from the catechism the church is teaching. Um, and the wife also, and you, need to go to the priest and tell the priest that your husband is Episcopalian, he's not Catholic, he's been receiving the Eucharist for 30 years. Um, her husband must tell the priest that. And as far as the, him going to Eucharistic, so-called Eucharistic ministers, um, there's no such thing. There's such a thing as an extraordinary minister of the Eucharist for extraordinary purposes. No one but a priest should touch that sacred host. No one. So if you see he goes to either a priest or others, you need to go to them and say, that man is not Catholic. You must not serve him, uh, the Eucharist. You must do that. We must hold the honor of God above offending people we love. And we don't love them enough if we let them commit such sacrilege. Um, we have an email from Joe who writes, Dear Mother Miriam, I recently rediscovered your program this Lent, and I'm very grateful for the insights that you give on the Catholic faith. I had a few questions. Did you and Mother Angelica ever have occasion to cross paths? Oh, many occasions. Yeah, absolutely. And I was also on Mother Angelica Live with Mother Angelica. If so, what was it like? Um, it was wonderful. She's just a wonderful, friendly, hometown soul. Truly wonderful uh, and funny. Um, he says, if not, 
when that day comes, heaven better buckle up because you two are really something else. How cute. A while ago, he writes, there was a woman who was lamenting that she was in her 20s, was insecure and sad that she had not found the right man because she thought she was not attractive. I just would like to give her comfort and recommend that she not focus on getting a man because if she focuses her energy on trying to get a man, that she may miss opportunities that God puts in front of her. Good for you. I'd also put out that she should not make her identity all about having or not having a boyfriend. Her identity is much more than that and simply everything that God has blessed her with inside of her. And if God's will is for her to find a mate, it will come when it comes, or probably when she least expects it. For me, I met my beautiful wife of 25 years when I knocked on a house asking for directions, oh, this is cute, to an address of another girl I was actually interested in. Needless to say, I never get to get those directions. I've heard it said that Satan hates blood which is why he hates the traditional Latin mass. A few of the things that hang me up on this is how that can be since Satan existed before Rome and Latin's creation, since he had a role to play in our Lord's crucifixion. He had to have interacted with the Romans to make it happen. And to do so, he would have had to at least listen to the Latin that they spoke Can you help me reconcile these two things? Of course. It's not that Satan hates Latin out of the blue. He doesn't hate any particular language. It means nothing to him. He hates Latin now because it became the church's language. That's why he hates it. It became the main language of the church. And and I think it's a shame when the church went to the vernacular because now... We can go all over the world, and if we're not Portuguese or not Spanish or not English or not whatever, we can't understand what's going on at the Mass if it's in a foreign language. But when everyone knew Latin, they could go anywhere in the world, and they understood the entire Mass because it was the same no matter where you were in the world in Latin. So the enemy hates Latin because it unites the people of God. It's the language of the Mass. And it's the language of the church. It became that. So that's, that's the point. He says, thank you for all that you do. And I look forward to listening to your show, Yours in Christ. And I would say, good, good email, dear Joe. But I would say to, um, to the woman who was lamenting that she was in her 20s insecure and hadn't found the right man because she thought she wasn't attractive, you will never not find the right man because you think you are physically unattractive. There's no such thing. To our eyes, there are many people that are unattractive, men and women. Are men to not get married because they're not as attractive as other men? No. For the right godly men, it is the godly heart of a woman that is attractive and that he wants as the mother of his children. So if you're insecure because of your looks, your focus is on you, and you are utterly powerless to do anything about it. But you're, you're contradicting God. You're blaming God that he created you less attractive than you think you need to be to be 
attractive to a man. You are blaming God. It's a bad thing. You can probably marry a very beautiful, godly man and have many, many children if you focused simply on your inner beauty and being the godly woman God has made you and called you to be. There's the music for our uh, close to the program, dear ones. Um, God bless you. And we should be video tomorrow. I, I, we should be. So God bless you. And um, um, we will see you tomorrow. Live for God. Tomorrow is Friday of Lent. No meat. You hear that? No meat. Okay. God bless you. See you tomorrow.